fact that like Jordan Everly, <laughs> I hate he him. He looks like a young Mario Lemieux against the Penguins, and <laughs> I'm just sick to my stomach. Like I'm just literally sick it's to like my stomach. Every. Welcome back, everybody, to Where's My Stick? Um, if you don't know, my name is Christy. And I'm Danielle. Okay, so we're kind of just going to jump into it. We have a very news-heavy episode today. So just first, because of the times that we're in, the first thing that we have to kind of cover is COVID. And basically, like, the last couple of weeks, like, since the last time we recorded, there have been... A lot of games that were postponed, a lot of mini outbreaks, um, basically in all the American divisions. So Canada was pretty much safe. Um, So because of all of this, the NHL, they made some in, they made some changes to the COVID protocol and what they're asking teams and players to do. So some of the main things were that they removed the glass from behind team benches to increase airflow in the area where players and coaches spend most of their time during games. And I think they were looking at getting rid of the glass and the penalty boxes, but I don't think they actually did that. Um, players and coaches, they weren't, they're not, they're no longer permitted to arrive at the arena more than an hour and 45 minutes before puck drop. The only exception is if you have an injury and you're seeking treatment. So, And then all meetings, whether in-game, whether it's a game day or not, are going to be conducted virtually. Teams were asked to create additional locker room space for for themselves and their opponents that would be hopefully six feet apart between players so they're not all on top of each other. And the NHL considered asking teams to deploy like portable air cleaners so that It increases the airflow, makes the air cleaner for the players. Regular testing of families or household members, updated mask requirements, and an increased use of rapid testing on game day. And I think since they kind of implemented these rules, like there has been less players being added to the um, COVID protocol list. So it does look like things are working and players might be taking it more seriously the the arenas are more safe for players um and and the kind of bad news is that because all of these games were postponed a condensed schedule is going to be even more condensed now like we have teams playing ridiculous schedules so what are your thoughts on like the stuff Like, I don't know. The NHL is so weird, right? Because they'll say, like, okay, we're going to remove the glass behind benches to increase airflow. And it's like, okay, in empty arenas, I get that. But then, like, there's some teams that have fans in the arena. So doesn't that, like, removing the glass make the fans more susceptible to getting COVID, like, from the players? Like, when you remove that, like, the air is (laughs) spreading? I don't know. I mean, I don't know how, like, I don't know the signs behind all of this stuff. But to me, that just seems kind of weird. And then I like the idea of them, like, spreading the team out more so they're not all on top of each other all the time. Because, unfortunately, they just are going to be on top of each other during the game. But outside of that, where, like, the elements that they can control, they're trying to do better. But then, like, then they have things like increased rapid testing on game days. And I know one of the reasons why they didn't want to do increased 
or, or testing during game days because you can get, or the rapid testing anyway, is that you can get false positives. But I just wonder how many times they were testing players. I mean, there were so many instances that we've seen in the past of like players being uh, tested positive, getting pulled during a game, and then those games still going. But it's like at this point, the player that's positive has already been around the the bench with his teammates, has been on like interacting with the other team. So like it's like this rapid testing should have been there from the beginning. And then like testing the family and like household members. I'm just surprised they they weren't doing that before. I know that the NHL isn't the same as like the NFL. And like, I do remember like leading up to the Super Bowl, family members were getting tested or like household members were getting tested daily to make sure that they weren't positive and they weren't infecting players. And I know the NHL can't do that for all of the family members or the household members, but it's just like something that I th- would have expected them to at least like weekly testing or something like that. I know that's taking up resources, but we're not in a bubble. And like, if they truly want to keep the players safe, then I would have figured that they were doing that. But that's my thought on all of those things. Like there's some good things. It's like taking a step forward, but then also taking a step back, but then taking a step forward. So it's just <laughs> yo-yoing back and forth. I feel like the NHL, they always think, that they're taking things super seriously but then there's always like um there's always like these consequences that they don't think of like if you're not if you don't test families like yeah you have the players that you're testing but they have they're going home at -hmm. the end of the day so i didn't i don't understand why they didn't do that and i can see that just because the rapid testing, they, they're not always accurate. I would rather have something because the PCR test, which is the most reliable, it does take a while. So it mm-hmm. takes longer. So like in between that time, that buffer time between when the players get that test and when they receive the results, wouldn't you want like a, just like a backup just in case yeah. so that we don't have players that are positive playing and then being pulled out. I would rather have a player that tested positive falsely than a player that is positive that they don't know might be positive playing yeah yeah i completely agree but i mean who am i to say but hopefully the numbers are going down but i feel like eventually they're gonna tick back up and i do see i do see coaches and people behind the bench they're wearing the what's it the k and 90 and 95 which are like the best ones and i saw um during the caps game la violette had two masks and i was just like yep i that's something i approve of (laughs) because you have to be safe yeah i mean they literally just came out and said two masks are better than one so double up do what you gotta do um i guess thinking about covid and just like we have had players that have been positive who have like come back just like the long-term impacts on the players getting covid just on like their yeah. health and their mental health like it's scary some it's of the quotes horrifying who's nuts off is just like yeah i was i almost cried happy tears when i realized that i can walk and breathe and I don't know. He was just like, the way that this disease goes, one day you're fine, the next day it's bad. 
And then only those who got sick with symptoms will understand what I'm talking about. And I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Real quick with a Kuznetsov, Evgeny Kuznetsov quote. Like, Evgeny Kuznetsov is such, like, a happy-go-lucky guy. Like, he's not, like, some of those guys that are be that would be super dramatic. Like, he's very, like, ah, oh, it's not that bad. Like, oh, well. But, like, the fact that he's, like, yeah, I almost literally <laughs> cried. Like, I wouldn't wish this on anybody. Like, <laughs> that means it's really bad. But I'm sorry. Go ahead. He did mention that, like, coming back and, like, the conditioning, it did take him a while because this is a respiratory disease. Mm-hmm. And then some other players, like Ristolainen, he, there, it was reported that he had, like, chest pains and heart pains, like, a dip in oxygen levels. So it was really hard for him to catch his breath after after doing just anything. Um, Ilya Samsonov, he had trouble breathing and walking. And Marco Rossi, and he's a draft pick from For the Wild from 2020, so last year. So he played, he got COVID in Europe, and then he played in World Juniors for Austria, and he reported that he was just really exhausted during the tournament, but he thought that he was, like, fine. And then, now this season, the Wild refused to clear him to play, so meaning that he's having some sort of complications from COVID, but they haven't said anything so now he's back home in Austria and he has to come back every six weeks to Minnesota just to get tested and to see what's going on and this kid he was just drafted and he's seeing the impacts like already and then we have old people that (laughs) in the league like the coaches like Ralph Kruger he's like 60 something and he said that he was like scarred by his COVID experience like he didn't have symptoms as bad as like Kuznetsov or Ristolainen or anything but he did experience like the aches and like the difficulty breathing so it's just like I I don't know I feel like we shouldn't be playing yeah I mean these are these everything that they're saying and these are these were the concerns going into the season like COVID is not something to take lightly and I mean this (laughs) They've said for how long that it's not just older people that get this. It's not just the immunocompromised that get this. Healthy young people can get this and have serious long-term effects. And and we don't, I mean, we're saying long-term and it's been, what, a couple of weeks, a couple of months uh, for some of these players. But I'm, we're talking about like years from now. We don't know how this will impact them because like you said, it's a respiratory disease or a respiratory yeah. virus. I don't know. Like, I I know that the league is really trying to say that they're trying to keep the players safe. At the end of the day, they obviously need to do better. But it's just scary because these players are putting their life on the line to play a game. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. They're just putting their life on the line to play a game. I I know this is more to them than just a game. I know this is a career for all of them. This is important, but it's not necessary. And... Even for like other like front front line workers, like their jobs aren't even putting them like in a position to be completely safe. And I just don't feel like the NHL is doing that either. And this is just such not an essential thing that we need. But you know for sure that the NHL is not going to cancel. And to sit here and say that the NHL isn't going to have any more cancellations because outbreaks weren't aren't going to happen. Naive. It's just to me. It's it's just being naive. Yeah. So, 
I mean, you talked about how condensed the schedule is now. Like, it's so condensed. Some of these players that are coming back have had COVID. And they're trying to play a game every other night. Four games a week. Sometimes, I don't know if there's any five game a week, but at least four games a week for months. It's just unrealistic. I, I really, I really don't know how the NHL is going to... I don't know how this is going to play out. It's just so crazy. And then it's not good for, like, it's not good for, it's not good to be in such, like, a heightened environment like that. And then you're putting pressure on yourself. Because say you're the one that gets COVID Mm -hmm. and then it spreads to the team. And then you think that like, it's your fault that like everything happened when it's just like, it's the circumstances. I forget what player said this. I think it was Mark or something. Felino, Nick Felino on the Columbus blue jackets where he was like, it's kind of like Marcus, Marcus. Like you don't want to say that you got it. Like, it's like, it's taboo to say you got COVID. Like, so people, like, players are lying and, like, players are, like, not telling the truth about certain things. And also, it came out before the NHL put, like, these rigorous, I won't say rigorous, uh, protocol, rigorous COVID protocols, but, like, these before. stricter protocols in, in place. It, they said that, like, 75% of the locker room truly believed in COVID and, like, were taking it serious. And there were some, there were 25% of players who were not. So... It's just like, what are we doing here? <laughs> you know, like some of these players, and and it's and, and obviously like this is that's true, that's real life. Because look at look at the United States. I I would say there's more than twenty five percent that aren't taking this serious. So it's just I don't know. Like I don't know what the right thing to do altogether is. Without just saying scrap the season, which is uh, which is not realistic because I don't feel like the NHL will scrap the season. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like, um, unfortunately, I feel like COVID is one of those things that unless it personally has impacted yes. you, it can. It's really easy to get complacent with it, and mm-hmm. I think maybe some of these players might have fallen into that category, um, but yeah. It's just, I don't know, that really, that really sucks. Because, like, if, if you have breathing problems, that's going to impact you throughout the rest of your career. Like, Mika has looked really bad. Yes, <laughs> yeah. COVID. I don't know. I just really feel for the players and them, them just being not forced, but highly encouraged yeah. to go back to work. <laughs> like... I don't, I, like, there's no way they're going to go into a bubble again because um, teams need the money, even though they're only, a lot of teams are open in a limited capacity. Mm -hmm. They still need that money, so I don't see them going to a bubble again, but that might be, like, the best option. But then it it took such a toll on players. Like, they really hated it. They really hated it. Yeah. Like, there's no way they're going to go into a bubble, like you said. The players absolutely hated it. And, I I mean, this season might be over before this even gets to happen. But, you know, with the vaccine coming out, the NHL, I feel like they're going to skip the line. I don't know if that's actually true. but They might. 
They might try. I think that like around April to June, July, that's when the vaccine will start being available to, I guess, people like the NHL players because they're young, healthy, and, you know, they're not essential workers. I would just wonder how the NHL is going to roll that out. Like, does every team get vaccinated? Uh, Does every player get vaccinated? Are they going to get vaccinated at the same time? Are they going to go in waves? Or are only teams that are currently playing at the time going to get it? Because, I mean, if you're, I want to say Ottawa, but honestly, if you're the Penguins and you don't make it in the playoffs, are you going to get the vaccine? I mean, mean, I'm thinking that this is, this is like, this is your job, right? And your it's yeah. your job's job to secure the vaccine for anybody yes. that wants it. So, yes. or but then the NHL might be like, oh, it's up to teams to get it. And yes, no, I feel like the NHL as a whole will do it because I, the teams just well, I don't know because all the information I'm saying is only coming out about the American teams. So I don't know what they're gonna do with the North Division. But I, I think the NHL as a whole will try to vow for all of their teams to be able to get it. Just because, like, if Tampa's like, yeah, we want it. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, 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 Tampa. And then, like, Arizona's like, hey, we want it. And they're like, <laughs> like, sir, <laughs> and no. And so, I mean, I just don't think that's, like, I don't think they're going to do that. But I just think that I don't trust the NHL to roll it out the right way. At the same time, like someone could say, well, Danielle, what's the right way? I don't know. I think personally, I would say all everybody needs to get vaccinated and then you wait and then you play the games. But we're already on the time crunch. The little wiggle room that the NHL had is already being like we're there. All, the te- time is already taken up by games you need to re- uh, to make up. So I don't know. And then the Olympics are this this summer. So the NHL definitely doesn't want to push it further out. So. I, I have no idea. I mean, the Olympics might get canceled, so they might have some more wiggle room there. And then the arenas are free. The arenas are free because there's no concerts or anything going on. That's true. I If the NHL is willing to push it out a little bit more, I think, I think the right thing to do is have everyone get vaccinated all at the same time that are playing in the playoffs. Honestly, I think everyone, every NHL player should get vaccinated, but whatever. I know people could be like, well, Danielle, my grandma needs to get vaccinated first. And to that, I'd say you're absolutely right. (laughs) But we're just talking about the hockey players right now. (laughs) Talk about your grandma. But I definitely agree with you. Oh, my God. And I I think a lot of NHL players might need to be educated on (laughs) the vaccine so that they know that. It's safe for them because I feel like a lot of NHL players are low-key, either conspiracy theorists or they're just trudging along in life, so they don't know what's going on. So somebody needs to tell them that the vaccine's okay for them to take. Yeah, no, I definitely understand that. And like I said, 25% um, (laughs) don't, like, didn't really take COVID serious. So there's going to be a lot of education. And there's going to be players that don't get it. Like, that's just how it is. Like... I've, I know people that work in healthcare that decided not to get it. So, um, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. So, moving on to messier, um, more dysfunctional news, I guess. Can we just say Katie Strang never misses? Like, she never misses. 
like the way that she carries the athletic on her back time and time again to make it like you really want to to read the article yeah she painted a story all right okay so katie dropped a a a katie bomb a strang bomb so she came up with this article and basically the major players of this article about the coyotes are xavier gutierrez which is who is the ceo and the team's president Alex and Alex Murillo, who is the owner as of July 2019. So it's no, it's no like secret that the Coyotes, they have had a lot of just really messy transitions, a lot of stuff going on around them in terms of not paying their lease, um, in terms of <laughs> Cheka just being like, I'm out. And all of that. So it's just been a really turbulent couple of years. Okay? So and the in draft the, pick. Yes, yes, yes. And the draft pick. And in this article, for this article, Katie, she interviewed over 50 current and former staff in multiple departments and, and with people who have, like, a business relationship with the team. So she did her research, research and she has her receipts. So according to Katie... Marillo, who is the owner, he tried to own a franchise before in the NBA, but he was ultimately denied because they felt like he didn't have enough um, money to withstand operating costs. And this was in 2011, so his he might have assumed more capital by then, by the time he owned the Coyotes. And the NHL was like really excited to have him be an owner because he he has he had two billion dollars supposedly and he wanted to secure a new arena for them because as we all know their whole arena situation has been like a mess and they've been trying to move the team so Murillo's plan to turn the franchise around included just like increased ticket sales sponsorships a cut of the Seattle expansion fees and just a lot of cost-saving measures so that included reducing player payroll and then already when Murillo introduced all of this people people thought that uh I don't know that's not really how you want to run an NHL franchise because um NHL franchises are more like a community organization that works with people so cutting cutting those relationships will not be beneficial so it's been said that Marillo, he likes to, he's just really verbally aggressive to his staff and to people. So multiple employees detailed profanity-laced dressing downs by Marillo, and he never wanted people to call him Alex. He um, he wanted people to just call him Mr. Marillo, and he would get really, really upset with them if they did call him Alex. So... Now we're in COVID times and things are uncertain. So in May 2020, he promised to pay the arena's part-time and hourly staff members and by and that hadn't been met. In September, a handful of players didn't receive their signing, signing bonuses on time. And then the NHLPA had to get involved because players per diem weren't issued in the bubble. And then he just has a lot of outstanding balances and a common practice for Murillo and his associates would be to threaten litigation so that he can negotiate a way to either not pay them at all 
or to pay um, like a reduced price. So a lot of people that were owed money by Murillo, they just knew that they were never going to get the full money that they were owed. And this is something that um, has been, this is something that he did in his other businesses. And then in September, again, the organization had a balance owed from the 2019-2020 season with the arena that they hadn't been that they hadn't paid and then they finally paid it after somebody reported it from at the athletic that they they still owed their arena and then apparently a request to expense pizza during a game in the bubble was denied and then employees were basically threatened that if any information was leaked out they would be immediately fired um And then employees continued to voice their frustrations in terms of health benefits, the pressure to work in the office rather than remotely, um, and they even voiced some of their concerns to the NHL. And then in February, so this month, they fired Steve Sullivan, who was the AGM turned interim GM, turned back AGM after Cheka left, and then now he's suing for breach of contract. And then they also have, like, a lawyer that has been investigating them for, like, a multiple of things. So some of those things include sexual assault allegations from a party in December 2019, the accuracy of financial documents um, provided to third parties, teams, the team's appropriation of money from the Inclusivity Growth Fund, which is money to help fund programs and initiatives aimed at just increased diversity and inclusion. Um, They're also investigating workplace culture and then health health policies regarding COVID. And that's kind of a rundown of the article, but I really do urge you guys to like read it yourself. Like Katie does go super, super in depth into everything. I mean, overall, it just seems like he's trying to run an NHL organization, like a business. Mm-hmm. It's just not a business. You don't, you can't run it this way. It's not profitable in that way. It's not healthy. And it just turns into such a sour, horrible environment. And I mean, everything that has come out about the Coyotes, it's starting to make sense. Like Chica leaving, everything that's going on with the draft pick and like them trying to positively market their way out of this. And it's just, it's just too much shit. Like, like they're waiting in so much shit of their own doing. And I just, my, my heart goes out to all the employees that have to work for them. Like, I mean, think about it. This guy takes over in 2019, literally makes the environment super toxic. Then a pandemic hits and it's like, (laughs) should you quit your job or do you like, what do you do? I mean, he's not even paying people on dime. So yeah, that's just true. It's just... You know who he reminds me of? And this is like, I don't know. It's probably going to sound stupid. But, like, this does he not remind you of Trump? Like, <laughs> not paying people and then trying to, like, sue his way out of it and, like, sue to not be, to change his wages and, like, not end up not paying people the full value. It just seems, it just seems like a mess. And the worst part for this, I mean, well, no. I won't say the worst part. The most telling part is the Yotes response to this. Like, how they immediately went to attack Katie and, like, 
say that, like, delegitimize her as a writer and, like, try to play the victim. And it's just, it literally is, it's very Trump-like. It's very much what we've seen in the last four years. And I, I feel like it's really unfortunate that he he is the owner just in many different ways because I feel like the Coyotes as a team even though they're not that good they're still always like kind of in it like they're trying their mm-hmm. best like they're trying their best and to like how do you as a coach or whatever as a coaching staff how do you create stability in that environment when that is your owner and that are, that is the people that those are the people that you have to work with and then it's also unfortunate because Marvillo is the first like um, person of color to own an NHL team, and it's re- he's really shitty. So that also sucks. Yeah, I hate to say this, people of color suck too. Like you know yeah, what I'm saying? Like rich yeah. people suck. I you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I just think it's so important to vet people who want to be owners. Mm-hmm. Very, very carefully because it's just so chaotic. And especially for them to understand that the any an NHL team is not a profitable team. You're not going to make a profit. Right away. Right or away. And ever. honestly, you might not make a profit in the first decade because it's just how there's you have to put in so much money to reap the rewards. And like every aspect of the organization like on ice off ice me like social media in the community like you need to really create a solid foundation to all of it and it's very like very rarely does all of it blossom at the same time Mm -hmm. because hockey is such a sometimes you win sometimes you lose sport like you can be the best and still not make it and like still lose and like you know, and like, look at like this year, look at Tampa, like they won the cup and barely like, I don't even think they made any money from their cup win, which is like what <laughs> no. every team tries to do. You know, like that's the goal. And like, look at like Pittsburgh, like we talk about like, how many championships have they had? And they're like, they're on the brink of like, we don't know if we can spend the cap because there's no fans in the stands. Like, so it's just like hockey, being a hockey owner, you are literally that it's you have to just love the game. And love your community because you're not going to turn a profit. It's just not how it works. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is really unfortunate. But I looked into it and. But he's Cuban and he's one of those like white Cubans. Yeah. And they are like notorious for just being a mess. And like, I'm sorry, but like avid Trump supporters. And racist, like they are. Racist. Yeah, I mean, well, if you're a Trump supporter, you're a racist, like that. I think. To I mean, me, yeah. that goes hand in hand. So, yeah, um, yeah. But the way that they responded to the whole like um, Miller situation, they were just like, "Yeah, he's gonna be like a leader, and we're gonna like rehabilitate him, blah blah blah." Because you know, we are gonna work a lot with the Latino community in Arizona. And then as soon as they actually started receiving like a lot of backlash, that's when they rescinded their draft pick. I, don't know. I just feel bad for like the players in the organization and it makes sense why they all want to leave and I feel bad for just the workers and having to work in that environment like we're already in a pandemic well <laughs> moving on to another team that has kind of been in the news lately so the penguins never boring 
So last episode, we basically speculated who we wanted to be the new GM. And I think we both were just like, Hextall, but we don't know. And, but they did it. They hired Ron Hextall to be general manager and Brian Burke as president of hockey operations. So Patrick Alvin, who was the interim GM, he has gone back to his role as AGM. Um, Hextall, he was last GM in 2018 um, after being fired by the Flyers because the organization had grown tired of his patient approach. And yeah, so before I get into all the other stuff, so like, what do you think? What are you thinking? I don't know. I mean, this happened so long ago that it's just like, yeah, it's not like big news, but... I was surprised they picked Hextall. I didn't think that they would just because Hextall has always seemed like the patient approach is the best approach and building from within and from what we've heard from the Penguins ownership and kind of like how I feel. Like, I think that they need to get like they shouldn't give up now. But at the same time, all signs are to give up because <laughs> they have nothing. <laughs> and... So I was just surprised by the Hextall's approach. I like Ron Hextall. I think I'm more, I'm a little bit more weary of him now because like he holds the, like the key to my future of hockey in his hand, which is training of <laughs> Guinea Malkin. So I, you know, I don't know. I, I think that he's a very good drafter, but I also feel like Ron had a lot of really great scouts in his organization and I think that's a big part of it as well, of drafting. And I don't know, like after hearing what everyone else said and like doing like just from what I know with Ron, I think it's a good fit. I I mean, I think he's a good GM. I just, I don't know. Like I said, I'm very weary because of the Malkin situation. My only fault with Ron is just the fact that I think that he can be stubborn to a fault I don't think that he knows when to say like cut, cut his losses with like coaching members of the coaching staff and his trades. They're not Jim Rutherford trades. Like they're not just like, Hey, we're wheeling and dealing. Like, no, Ron's <laughs> going to be like, okay, what can I get back? And in the situation that Philly was in, some of those trades were good. Like when he traded Braden Shen for two first round picks, uh, the Flyers were able to have two first-round picks and two drafts because of the Braden Shen trade, and that was a really good trade. But it's not. But it, see, it's different because like he'll trade players for picks, whereas Jim does picks for players. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're getting somebody back now. So in that sense, I just don't know how Hexall is going to do in that situation. That the biggest like surprising part of this whole thing was the fact that Brian Burke was hired uh, as a new president of hockey operations. I don't like that. I don't know much about Brian Burke. Like I honestly, I remember you sent me, you were like, yeah, Brian Burke. And I was like, who is he? Like, I don't know anything about Brian Burke. And then I saw him and I was like, oh, the guy on TV. Like I didn't even know he was a GM. I didn't know he (laughs) won in Anaheim in 2007. Like, we're almost 20 years from that. Like, we're closer to 20 than we are to when he won the Cup. So I just I just think that the league is different now. I think that teams that win are different. And I think that I don't know if I'm ready for it to be completely t- torn down or to go in a different direction. 
especially because Brian Burke seems like he likes that heavy hockey and Jim Rutherford tried that and the pens just aren't that. And so I'm just very hesitant. Like, I don't know. I know that Hextall's quotes to the media was after all this was just like, we're going to wait and see. We're going to see what this team on the ice does. And then we'll, we'll decide from there. But like, he didn't promise that Malkin wasn't going to get traded. He didn't promise that Latang wasn't going to get traded. I, I just wonder like with the way that Morehouse spoke and then the way that like Hextall is and like Brian Burke before he even got hired, he was like Pittsburgh. It's a it's like, they're done. They're <laughs> over. Like yeah. they're barely making it. And honestly, in some situations, like he wasn't wrong. And one thing I will say, and this is like a little bit off topic, but I just need like I just everything that I've heard, everything that I've seen people say, like everyone talks about how like the decline of Malkin and Latang and Sid and like maybe like not as much Sid but I've seen some Sid stuff and like yes is Malkin having a really great season absolutely not I mean he's just not like he has the same points as Teddy Bluger which you hate to see it but he's tied for fourth on the team in points so, like, I mean, he has nine points in 15 games. Latang had a really great game last night. So, but overall, he's been, you know, up and down. But at the same time, like, they're not the ones to blame for where Pittsburgh is right now. Like, they're absolutely not the people that you should be pointing your fingers at. Yet everyone is pointing their fingers at them. Like, right. look at what this team is. Like, look at the roster. Look at the cap space. Look at some of the contracts. Look at the, 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 the cover of draft picks. Look at the prospects that they have. That's not on Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang. He's I'm not sorry, that's not deals. on them. You cannot fault them for that. They're not making the like, calls. They're not. The way that nobody is saying like, wow, Jim Rutherford really did made some fucking questionable moves is just baffling to me. Like, they always say, Jimmy Rutherford, two cups. Yes, the two cups, I get it. But let's talk about what happened after the two cups. Like, why can't we talk about the moves that were made? And I've seen some people, you know, hint at talking about, well, the Ryan Reeves trade, like, the Oscar Sundquist, like, moving him. Like, there were some questionable things. There were a lot of questionable things. (laughs) There are more questionable things than not, in my opinion. Yeah. So it's just like, it's just so frustrating. When we look at this roster, even when healthy, the roster is questionable. And it's, I I started to realize this because like, we're all sitting here every night saying, oh my God, uh, Brandon Tanev. Like, oh my God, Kasperi Kapanen. If I'm saying, wow, Kasperi Kapanen, something is wrong. And like, no shade to Kasperi Kapanen, but he's not a player that you're just like, oh my gosh. And like, he's not even doing that amazing for me even to really like be like, oh my God, he's killing it. Like, Like he's doing like the bare minimum, like the bare minimum, getting one or two points every couple of games. Yes. We're just like, yes, we won the trade. Like the fact that Zach Aston Reese is back and we're like, yo, my God, like finally, like, thank God. Like, that's not good. And I know people will say, well, Danielle, that's because Malk is not playing up to par. That's because Chris Letang's not playing up to par. Yeah, but like every time they won, it wasn't like, I'm not going to say that Malkin and Latang weren't weren't playing out of their mind because they were. 
but it was also so many other players. Like, it's, I don't know why everyone thinks that only Sid, Gino, and Latang can push them, pull this team up to win. When that's not, that's none of their championships were like that. Maybe 09 was the closest that you could say, but like 2016, that third line was in like insane. The third yeah. line now, at best, Aww. is Bluger and Aww. Zach Aston Reese and um, Tanev. They've been out, they've been great. Don't get me wrong, but they have not been HBK. I just, okay. So Sid Malkin and Latang. They were always gonna age. <laughs> like they were always gonna be in their thirties. Like we knew this two years ago, we knew this four years ago, we knew this when they first won their second cup or whatever. My my whole thing is that like you know that, like players decline. Nobody plays at their peak performance until they retire. So and right now there's nothing to supplement that. Like, Malkin playing not his best wouldn't be so glaring and wouldn't be so hard to swallow if we had people supplementing his um, his production. And right now we yes. don't. Malkin, I mean, not Malkin, Latang being, Latang's risk not paying off wouldn't be so um, hard to take if he didn't have to play over 20 minutes a night. So it's just yeah. like... <laughs> It's just like, yes, they're not playing their greatest, but you can't not play them because you don't have anybody else to replace them or to at least, like, soften the blow a little bit. So that's really frustrating, and I definitely see your point, but I do think the Hexall hire is good in the fact that, like, they won't be just throwing away picks and maybe they might get a couple, um... I don't know how in this climate <laughs> and with the flat cap and everything, but I, I, I don't know. I hope they don't trade Malkin and Latang. Like I need, I need, I need somebody to retire a penguin with Sid. Like, come on. So we're recording this the Sunday after Sid's 1000th game. And oh. like, I like, I've always been don't trade Gino. Like I've always, but like, after seeing that, like, I, I'm so sorry. Like, Chris Letang and Evgeny Malkin have to play the rest of their careers with Sidney Crosby. I'm so sorry to say it. Like, it has to happen. Yeah. Like, it just, it has to happen. And Taylor Haas, who we've had on the podcast, said that, like, she was like, oh, my gosh. And imagine that next year we'll be doing this for Gino. I almost threw up. Like, I will be <laughs> no more good. I will not be able to console myself. Like, I will... I like I it's gonna be a tough night and like I need that to happen like I need that to happen and like if they do that if he plays a thousand games they'll be the only two to have done that yet and like they that means they need to retire together like yeah it just is just how it has to be and like yeah yeah I'm I'm like I I don't even know I'm putting faith well I'm putting faith in in Mario I don't know why I'm putting faith in Mario that he wants to have them both retire as penguins because how the Penguins did Yarmir Yager and he wasn't yeah. able to retire Penguin. So I I hope that happens. But the Penguins are in such... <laughs> they're in such a um, crazy position. Like, yeah, they don't have anything and they need... All of their moves need to hit. 
all of them. Yeah. There's no room for error. Um, and, like, the crazy part is that when we've talked about this before, and it's, like, the stats, guys, aren't as low on the Penguins as people, I feel like, who watch them every single night. And that's, like, baffling because when you watch them every single night, this team looks extremely bad. But... I would say think, they look extremely bad. They just, I mean... They don't have, like, a pop. Like, you know? Like, they don't have, like, a... They don't have, like, it. No, I just think there's so many, like, defensive breakdowns. And I think that they don't have enough rolling at the same time offensively that they just... They don't look dominant. Like, there's times when they look completely outclassed. And, like, those times are more often than not. And when they do look dominant, they don't score. Or they get scored on. And, you know, goaltending has always has been up and down this season. I don't, I don't talk about it. But Tristan Jari has definitely looked better. It's so hard to evaluate a team when you're playing the same people, like, um, continuously. Like, they're not playing, like, a Toronto or an Avs. So, like, we don't know how they stack up against, like, the better teams. Whereas, like... With these teams, you can kind of game plan against them. Well, see, I don't think that's true because Boston's a good team. Yeah. Like, there are good teams in their division that they're not winning against. And, like, I'll say this. They have beat the Isles. I don't think the Isles are a great team. Yeah, they have their own questions. <laughs> Between all of it, like, all of the people in the Eastern Division, I think that Boston, Philly, Washington are locks for the playoffs and I think it comes down to Pittsburgh and the Islanders to round out that group and then when you when you think of a seven game series against Boston the Flyers the um the Capitals who are you confident against and so like that's what I'm saying looking at those teams but you want to see how they match up against Toronto and (laughs) Cause, why? They can barely match up against the teams in their division. Like, why do you want like, them to get embarrassed? Because it's like, I want to see, like, if they, by some grace and some miracle, they win the Eastern Division, like, how would they look against those, like, the other 20-whatever teams? When you say win the Eastern Division, like, you mean become first in the division? Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that's mathematically possible at this point? No, but I'm just... <laughs> so, like, what are you talking about? Like, what are you talking... No, but I'm just saying, like, it's... I don't know. Like, I don't think that they look good, but I think that if this was, like, a normal season and they had to play, like, the Ducks or, like, the team... Like, the Senators or whatever... Like, would they look different? Would their record look different? I think that the even though the Penguins, their their um their record is suspect. I think it's because they're in a really hard, they're in a really tough division as well. All right, so I'm looking at the teams that they've played. They've played Philly. They've played Washington. They've played the Rangers. They played Boston. They played the Rangers. They played the Islanders. Okay. So they haven't played the Sabres. They haven't played the Devils. And they've won against the, the Rangers. So in my opinion, the Devils, Sabres, Rangers are the Ducks, Ottawa, the Sens. Like these teams that you think that are, they can easily beat to pad up their their stats points. 
or their year, their stats, their points in the standings. They just haven't played those bad teams yet. So I'm like, my thing is that like, I, I want them to be good against the teams that are in their division before I throw them out against Tampa and the, the avalanche and Toronto yeah, and even Montreal. So I just, I mean, like, I get what you're saying. Like you want to see this during a regular season, but like we can't because it's not. Yeah. It's unfair. It's like, it's annoying because the rest of this month, they're only playing the Islanders and the Caps. Oh man. Well, hopefully, um, Brian Burke, he is not doing any hockey decisions. He's just the, he's just like the relationship guy. Make sure everybody's cool. Make sure everybody's, um, make sure everybody's getting along. And I think that's what people think he's going to do. Hopefully that is what he's going to do. But I saw him jotting down notes during games and that was making me nervous. Yeah. I'm like, you don't need to write anything. Just, just make sure Hextall and Morehouse, they have a good relationship and we should be okay. I just think that's so weird that you need somebody in there as a buffer between, like, your GM and your owner. I I was listening to the 31 Thoughts podcast, and the way Elliot Friedman, like, um, mentioned it, it made a lot of sense how just being a GM and the hockey operations guy, Most te- some teams they have them as one. Like, Rutherford, he was the ho- president of Hockey mm-hmm. Ops and the GM. And that it sounds like a two person job. Like you want to have like the GM that is evaluating players, looking at players, and then the hockey operations guy just making sure that everything runs smoothly. So I, I do think it does kind of make sense to have two people in that role instead of one. But if those two people are in a disagreement, then that might be a little bit of a problem. But from what I've heard, Brian Burke, he's not a terrible, he's not a terrible person. He's just, his hockey decisions might be a little bit questionable. So next, the Penguins, they kind of, for Black History Month, they kind of had a lot going on, which is kind of surprising for me, but also not because I feel like the Penguins are more low-key. But the big thing that they did was they, um introduced the Willie O'Ree Academy. So the Willie O'Ree Academy is basically an initiative that is specifically designed to help develop black youth hockey players in Pittsburgh. Um, And they will provide a unique, unique training and tailored support services. So the academy is supposed to start June 15th for boys and girls age from, ranges from the age of 10 to 18 for a nine-week training program for black hockey players who are already skating in the Pittsburgh Amateur Hockey League and the Pennsylvania Intergalactic Hockey League. So this academy, with this academy, there's going to be like a year-long educational component that provides cultural and identity discussion for the players. Um, and Morehouse, he basically said that this academy gives these players and um, these young people a chance to meet, get together, skate, and train as a unit until summer, and most importantly, share experiences. Because they they play all around Pittsburgh, but they don't necessarily have a chance to meet, so this would be where they would meet, get to know each other. 
Um, and this was developed in consultation with Trevor Daly, um, Kim Davis, and P.O. Joseph. And the of the Penguins Foundation, Jim Britt, he basically said, whether it happens as teenagers or adults, the game is not showing the same love that they're showing. So we're working to build a community and support network that can help this group to get through those challenges that they'll face during the season. Those unique circumstances compared to their white teammates and their white coaches. So what are your thoughts on this? Like, I really like this. Yeah, I do too. I think this is pretty cool. I hope this builds more of a fan base with black fans in Pittsburgh. When I went there, there wasn't like not a lot of people of color at the game and for the people like the black people that I did talk to when I was there they're all Steelers fans they don't really root for the Penguins so hopefully this builds more of a relationship with black people in Pittsburgh with the Penguins um, organization Um, I think this is really cool and I love that they named it after Willie O'Ree I thought those I like kind of like squinted when it was like this was developed by trevor daly kim davis and po joseph like i don't know like did you just round up all the black people in you knew and then put it together or and the, or i'm just out like or the positive uh of that and i was thinking like i love that po is like hands-on with the community because i hopefully that means that he'll be there for a long time and as someone who missed having a black person on the penguins in the years that they didn't have one, um, I'm like, I want P.O. to be around a long, long time. So. Yeah, yeah. And they did mention that um, that's why they wanted to do this, because a lot of the times, like if there is a black player on a team, they're one of the only ones and they don't have people mm-hmm. to talk about their experiences. And I, I really liked how this isn't I feel like hockey teams, what they normally do is they open like a skate clinic so people that never skated before and they're mm-hmm. like oh here's some skates like this is how you skate and this is a hockey stick where it's like this is geared towards people that are already playing so the penguins they also they've also been doing like these weekly virtual chats during the month of pittsburgh during the month of Not pittsburgh. pittsburgh february during the month of February, Black yes. History Month, they've been doing virtual chats. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and the first one was with Trevor Daly, focused on the power of Pittsburgh and Black players that have impacted Pittsburgh. Um, the next one was with P.O. Joseph, and that topic was kids breaking barriers. Br- yeah, breaking barriers or whatever. And the next one was on Black women making an impact on and off the ice with like Kim Davis and Tracy McCantus-Lewis. Dina Lamar, Dina Lamar and Sabrina Saunders. So these are people who work around hockey in Pittsburgh. And the last main one was about the identity and the history of Pittsburgh's black community. And I th- they're even holding a like an in-person viewing of the Willie O'Ree documentary, like Willie, in... I think, like, next week. Like, at the end of Pittsburgh. And it's going to be socially distanced. At the end of Pittsburgh? Oh, my God. At the end of February. So, at the end of February, they're going to be hosting a in-person screening of the Willie O'Ree documentary at PPG. And it's only 200 fans, and they're going to be, like, socially distanced and all of that. So, yeah. I love this. I thought this was super cool. I actually haven't been 
going into the video chats just because I've been super busy. But I hope that they're recorded and you can reach them, like you can watch them. Because I would love to see like Black Women Making an Impact, Trevor Daly, of course, even P.O. with like kids. I just, I don't know. I I like that they're doing this. I'm actually not super surprised that they are putting in a lot of effort because Black Girl Hockey, they've done stuff with Black Girl Hockey, but also like Black Girl Hockey called them out in like January and been like, what are you guys doing for Black History Month? (laughs) And they were like, wait and see, we have so much planned. And they actually did. I think that they've been trying to work. Yeah, and, like, I think they've been working on this to try to do a lot more. And this is a lot more than other teams that I've seen do. And I like that it's not very, like, showy. Mm -hmm. I really like that. Like, I just, like, like the Penguins. I don't know. I'm a fan. Like, fuck it. (laughs) It's okay. Like, they drive us crazy. I love them. They drive us crazy. But sometimes they do. Sometimes they do good things. Yeah. Um, Okay. So, I guess we kind of talked about this, but... Yeah, we referenced it before. Sid, last night, he <laughs> he played his 1,000th game in the NHL. And I was talking to my sister about this, and she was she was just like, I was just like, yeah, Sid, he's about to hit 1,000 games. And she was just like, well, how long he's, has he been in the league? I was like, 15 years. And she was just like, he's just now hitting 1,000. And I was Aww. just like, you don't understand. He's been through a lot. When you think about it, it's like kind of sad because like, this should have happened a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Just a beautiful thing. Like everyone, you know, sometimes I like roll my eyes at everyone and be like, Sid, Sid, Sid. Like <laughs> I roll my eyes at it, but it, it was truly beautiful. Like they, the Penguins really ca- like showed they care. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he's the first person in franchise history to reach that is insane. That's the, yeah. That's really surprising. Like, I mean, with like all Pittsburgh, like there's guys that have played their 1000th game with Pittsburgh, or, like, on the team, but he's the first player from beginning to end to only play for the Penguins. And that that's just – I love that they went all out. I just think it's beautiful. Yeah. I would have thought Mario hit it, but – because he played with them for I such mean, a long time. I mean, all of the injuries. Time. Yeah. All of that. Like, that's how, like, crazy, like, Sid, Mario, even Gino, like, they've all been injured so much. What was your favorite video <laughs> message for him? There were so many. I liked, I like Trevor Daly's when he, <laughs> <laughs> like their friend. Yeah. That's so sweet. He was just like, um, your first thousand games, you know, they've been kind of all right, but let's see about the next thousand. Is Trevor sweet? Like I, yeah. 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 He My is. favorite of course was yeah. no surprise Gino because I just love him so much. He's so like heartfelt. Like he's just so soft. Like, but like. But like he's trying yeah, not yeah. to be. He's just but like, like you know that he's like he's he has a soft heart and like he just loves Sid and I just love that. But I also really liked yeah. Ovi's. I love that they had Ovechkin do one. And then I really like Connor McDavid. <laughs> he sounded like he wanted to die. Yeah, he didn't look like he was having a good time. And like that's okay. But I liked Connor McDavid's because like he made that joke where I don't know if you know, but like the first time Connor met Sid, like, he was like, oh, Mr. Crosby. And Sid was like, you don't have to call me. You don't call me Mr. Crosby. And so he, like, made a little joke on that. I don't know if it, when he first met Sid, because I don't think that, like, they met before that. A side note. I really liked Latang's. Yeah, too. Latang's was really good. I liked Flowers. When he was like, yeah, hopefully, like, don't score on me anymore. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that far, we have to. We have to. It's the only time you find happy days. <laughs> So I was just like, oh, he probably should have had retired of yeah. also. Yeah. 
Apparently, the Penguins have been asking about him to see if he's available, but Vegas is like, no. He's not. They're like, no, with a heart emoji. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> And I'm glad they actually won the game. Yeah, I really yeah. Nervous. I didn't think they were going to win the game. I mean, when you watched the first period, you knew they weren't going to win the game. But Jari played <laughs> Jari incredible. Was... And, like, for all that I've been, like, talking about him, you actually have some stats about his last three games. So tell us. Yes. So in his last three games, so against Washington, he had a 9-2-9 save percentage, even though it was a loss. Um, the first game against the Islanders, he had a 9-6-9 in a win. And then last night, he had a 9-4-3 save percentage. So his numbers are getting better. Yeah. Like he's above 900 in the past three games, which is good. Mm. And hopefully they don't disrespect him anymore. Yeah. Because it was really brutal. I do hope that they do a lot. They are, they play a lot better in front of him. One of the reasons definitely they have been playing better is, I know I've like talked a little bit of smack about the Bluger line, but it's not because I don't think that they're good. I'm just saying that, I mean, do you think the Bluger line is better than the HBK line? Let us know. But the Bluger line has definitely been a highlight, especially with, Zach Aston Reese coming back, which is like one thing I thought I would never say because I've never been a Zach Aston Reese fan. I think another like mini bright spot, it looks like Mike Matheson, he has been getting more comfortable the past Mm -hmm. few games. Like yesterday, it was a little iffy, but then he scored. So, you know, it's forgiven. Like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like when Dumo's back and the defense gets better, if Jari keeps playing like he is right now, so, the next four games, like we said, they only play Washington and the Islanders. But the next four games are um, Tuesday against Washington, Thursday against Washington, Saturday against the Islanders, and then Sunday against the Islanders. And the Islanders, Saturday and Sunday, it's back-to-back. Saturday is a 7 p.m. start, and Sunday is a 5 p.m. start. So, not great with our old boys, weird. but... Are they going to be... Are they going to be, is it going to be like a home and home or are they going to stay I think they're, wherever they're at? They're all four of these are on the road. So two in Washington, two uh, in New York. Okay. Well, I guess I don't have, they don't have to travel that yeah. much, but. But that back to back, it's like less than, <laughs> less than 24 hours apart. They're playing the Islanders twice. Like they're old. Like this team is old. Like you, they cannot be playing like that. Like at least the Caps are kind of old with them. But, like, yeah, yeah, the yeah. island, like, Matt Barzell is, like, rested. It's disgusting. He's, like, well-rested when he plays the Penguins. It's, I don't like that. I don't like it. <laughs> I'm, I'm so happy he didn't score like, yesterday. But the fact that, like, Jordan no, Everly looks like, I hate He him. looks like a young Mario Lemieux against the Penguins. And <laughs> I am just sick to my stomach. Like, I am just literally sick it's to like, my stomach. I can't. Every, he, I feel like he scores every time. Because he does. That playoff series haunts me. I don't even want to think about it. So that is it for us this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and tell a friend. And if you really like this episode, give us a five-star review if you're listening on iTunes. So you can reach us on Twitter at where's underscore my underscore stick. Come say hi, and we'll see you next episode. Bye. Bye.